And I think oftentimes we overestimate what we can do with a post that we shared and we underestimate what we can do with an honest conversation with someone, a sincere conversation with someone, even when that person is a person, is, is someone that we don't agree with. We don't agree with politically, we don't agree with morally, we don't agree with, with all sorts of things. everyone, welcome to Not So Secular. My name is Mon Reyes, I'm a Catholic lay missionary here in the Philippines and I will be your host here today. Before we begin with the episode, I'd like to tell you about something I started recently. Not So Secular now has a Kofi page. What does that mean? Basically, if you like this show and you find it valuable, why don't you buy me a cup of coffee? Kofi.com slash NotSoSecular allows you to support me and the work I do here. And yes, it's as simple and fun as buying me a cup of coffee. You can do that through a one-time giving or a monthly pledge. If you do that, you get access to priority privileges when it comes to asking questions and suggesting topics, as well as future exclusive content and events. My hope is that in doing this, I can dedicate more of my time, effort, and resources on making this podcast better for you. Again, help me out and express your support through ko-fi.com slash notsosecular. That's ko-fi slash notsosecular. Or you can click the link in the description. Today, I'd like to get to talk about a story from 2 Samuel about an exchange between David and Nathan. The David that we're referring to here is King David, the guy who used to be a shepherd boy. He became a soldier later on. He is the same David as the one in David and Goliath. However, in this part of the story, it happens years after that. So after being a shepherd boy and a soldier, he also becomes the personal harp or lute player of the king. Basically, he plays music for the king. And he becomes a general. He becomes a leader of the other soldiers. And then after a while of being persecuted... He runs away, and then finally, after winning some of his battles, he finds his way back, and he becomes king of Israel. So that's the story of David in a nutshell. And Nathan is a prophet. So his role is to speak the word of the Lord to his people. So this story between David and Nathan is a story about correction. You see, David, he was a great man. He, the Bible describes him as a man after God's own heart. And so he is able to accomplish a lot of these great things. He was very blessed. And as long as he was faithful to the Lord, he prospered and he was protected. And a lot of good happened to him. Now, it, it's not, it doesn't automatically mean that if you follow the Lord, nothing will ever happen to you except for good. But that was the story of David's life. However, this happens later on in a time when David became complacent. You see, during this time, the kings, they would join in the battles. So whenever there were wars or battles between different tribes or nations, the kings would be a part of it. They weren't just generals who would stand in the back and give orders so that everyone could do what they were supposed to do. This was during the time, the Bible tells us, that 
you know, in the time when kings would go to wars, David unfortunately stayed behind. And that was his first mistake. He was in a place where he wasn't supposed to be. And so he was tempted because as he was strolling along, he finds or he sees from a distance this woman named Bathsheba. And Bathsheba is a woman that he has taken a liking to. However, Bathsheba is married, so she has a husband. And her husband is Uriah, who was one of the soldiers who were off into the battle where David was supposed to be. However, David, being king, thinking that he could do what he could do, whatever he wanted to do, he took Bathsheba and then he laid with her. Now, of course, this is sketchy because this is coming from the king who basically orders a woman to enter into his chambers, into his house, and basically takes advantage of her even though she was already married. It could have been one-sided at first, it could have been mutual, but eventually what happened, what we do know, is that this results in a pregnancy. And this was not good because David... Well, he did not do the right thing. Bathsheba was already married to someone else. And if people were to find out what he did, it would be very scandalous. And so what David does is he tries to cover his tracks. So he calls back Uriah and tells Uriah to sleep with his wife. So that if ever, you know, if ever it becomes more obvious that Bathsheba is pregnant, then... It could easily be it could easily be said that the baby she is carrying is that of Uriah. However, Uriah, being a faithful guy, does not do this. He can't stand to do it because his brethren were off in a battle, his brethren were off in a war, while he was called back by the king so that he could lay with his wife. He 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 could not Take it. He wanted to be with his brethren. This was not the time for relaxation or celebration or being with my being with my wife in that way. And of course, this was in stark contrast to David, who was also supposed to be in the battle. However, he was the one who laid with Bathsheba, someone else's wife. And so later on, after a couple attempts, David decides to just have Uriah killed. And so he stages this this plan to have Uriah be in the front of the battle and then for the other troops to kind of retreat for a little bit so that Uriah could perish in the hands of the enemy. And that was staged by David so that he could get rid of Uriah and so that he could have Bathsheba for himself. And so this is the background to which Nathan, the prophet, tries to Nathan tries to address this he tries to slap some sense into David because of what he did and that is what we're going to read today so we're going to take our reading from 2nd Samuel chapter 12 verses 1 to 7 i'm reading from the new american bible revised edition it says the lord sent nathan to david and when he came to him he said tell me how you judge this case in a certain town, there were two men, one rich, the other poor. The rich man had flocks and herds in great numbers, but the poor man had nothing at all except one little ewe lamb that he had bought. He nourished her and she grew up with him and his children. Of what little he had, she ate. From his own cup, she drank. 
In his bosom, he, she slept. She was like a daughter to him. Now, a visitor came to the rich man, but he spared his own flocks and herds to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. He took the poor man's ewe lamb and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David grew very angry with that man and said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves death. He shall make fourfold restitution for the lamb because he has done this and was unsparing. Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. We live in a time when it is so easy to criticize another because of the internet, because of our capacity to become anonymous or to stay anonymous, we can easily call people out. You know, we call people out as in public figures, diba? When someone does something or says something that we don't agree with or we think is bad, we post about it, we share about it, we call them out, we share our comments. We do this with government officials also, diba? Whenever the news comes out with some statement from this government official that we think is stupid or we think is not, is it's detrimental to others or maybe it's just some, you know, we perceive it as ignorant or something like that. We also make comments. We share that post along with our personal insight of what we have to say about this person and why this person made a dumb decision and so on. So we do that with public figures, government officials. Sometimes we do that with a particular person that we know. This happens less often than the first two examples, but it happens also when we could we, we get into posts, you know, public posts um, or an exchange in the comments section with someone that we know or someone that we used to know, not the Gatya song, but someone that we used to know, but we haven't spoken to them in years, but because we've seen them post about something that we don't agree with, suddenly we we talk to them as if we've remained friends, but that's not exactly, all, oftentimes it's not earned. So we have a tendency to do that also. But we have a tendency to do that toward collective groups of people as well. Right? Some people would criticize the conservatives. Some people would criticize the woke. Some people would criticize the capitalist society and all of its problems. And some people would criticize a certain generation, like the boomers or the Gen Z. If you're a boomer, you might likely criticize the Gen Z. If you're a Gen Z, you might likely criticize the boomers. If you're a millennial, you criticize both. And so, what happens? We, we like calling people out. That is one of the things that I've observed that I think you have observed also. You have seen also. But here's the problem, okay? Here's the concern. We like calling people out, but we don't like getting called out. I tweeted this recently, you know, but it didn't get much reactions and I kind of understand why. But I tweeted this recently. I said, when we call other people out, we call it demanding accountability. When we get called out by others, we call it gaslighting. And that's what happens. I saw this in a, in a very real way. I saw this in a in, in some of the people that I am friends with on Facebook who have been very vocal about their political stances and the candidate that they were endorsing during the election season. And when some others were calling them out, the, the supporters of this candidate, when they were calling them out because of a certain attitude that they were displaying, well, they 
got mad basically and responded by saying, oh, this is a form of gaslighting. Like, don't tell us to not be super passionate or to not be offended when you are doing these things. Basically, you are the problem here and we are just responding and variations of that. Of course, these are not verbatim and we, we you can go check the posts for yourself. There, You might have some friends who have posted like that. Basically, just search up gaslighting on Facebook and check out how people have used it. I think the problem with that is there are real instances of gaslighting. And of course, we should be careful with that. We should be sensitive with that. However, if every time we hear something that we don't like about our group or about how we identify as, whether we identify as a progressive or a conservative or a Christian or an atheist, whenever we hear a criticism about our group or about ourselves, we can't just dismiss everything by calling it gaslighting. That's not how it works. And I I, I, I talk about this, I talk about this every now and then, about. The problem with people who pretend to be victims is that they make it harder for actual victims to be taken seriously. If everyone claims to be gaslit, it, there comes a time when the actual people who are gaslit are much more difficult to be taken seriously, are much more difficult to be acknowledged. And the same goes for other other examples like being offended or calling someone out for for using harsh language or stuff like that. Right? If we do it often enough in bad circumstances, it, it, it decreases in value. It's like the boy who cried wolf. And so we should be careful with how we use these terms. Just because we know these terms doesn't mean we could just throw it around at every at every example that we think it applies to. We should be careful, especially when we're labeling people. That's not we should be careful with that because it, it can be so easy to jump from labeling people to objectifying them. Because once you label someone, it becomes way easier to say mean things about them and to treat them as lesser beings because we no longer see him as John or Mark or kung sino mang pangalan niya. We see them as this BBM supporter, Lenny supporter, Christian, atheist, and so on and so forth. Now, of course, I also want to acknowledge that there are circumstances when criticism is earned, as in that when, when you criticize a certain person or a certain group or a certain movement, na, as in legit talaga, na kailangan talaga silang i-criticize because of something that they are doing. However, I also want to distinguish between criticism and correction. I think what we need to focus more, especially if you are a Jesus follower, if you're a Christian, a Catholic, or maybe you're just exploring this from the outside, that's fine too. I think it's, it's more important for us to talk about correction because correction achieves more than criticism. Yes, criticism in the right context can be very helpful, especially when it is invited. Kasi minsan kapag ka unwarranted advice or unwarranted criticism, people don't really listen to it. Kasi nga, it was unwarranted in the first place. But especially if it is invited, diba? if someone asks you to give uh, like a legit, a real comment about what is happening here or what, what am I doing? Do you think this is good or bad? Well, those are good places for us to be able to offer legitimate criticism. And there are other means also. I don't want to limit this into some small form. But 
for today, at least, I'd like to focus on correction. Because I think at the heart of it, we don't just want to criticize, we want to correct, especially if we care about what is good. And that is a good thing. It's a good thing to care about what is good. But it matters how we pursue the good. And that is why I figured it would be good to talk about this today. And the thing about correction is just because we do it a lot, that doesn't mean that we know how to do it well. We can offer correction, we can offer comments, we can offer all sorts of opinions and insights, or maybe even call it fact-checking, although I'm a, bit, I'm a bit suspicious of how that word is used sometimes. But you can offer all of these things, but again, yun nga eh, not, not, it's not always heard. You know, We have too many people speaking and not enough who are listening. And yes, generally all of us, we all ought to listen more. Because if everyone is speaking and no one is listening, then we're just making noise and it's not really achieving anything. We're not truly communicating because communication has to be two ways. It has to be both giving and receiving, diba? You speak and you listen. So generally, we all ought to listen more. However, specifically this time, I also believe that we also ought to learn how to speak better, to actually strive toward communicating a point and not just shouting it into the ether, not just shouting it into the online space, hoping other people would notice and affirm how good we are and how nice our views are. That's not the point. The point at the end of the day, if of course, if, if your goal is correction, diba? at the end of the day, you want to be able to you want to be able to pursue the truth with someone. And sometimes that means that you will offer an insight that that person will receive, and then therefore you are one step closer to what is true and just. But there are also times when you would offer your insight, and it might also happen that you're the one who's wrong, or that there are elements in your argument and in that person's argument that are right, elements that are wrong, and you need to work through it together so that you could together strive toward what is true, good, and beautiful. So we need to actually learn to communicate well with real people and not just Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram avatars. I can't believe we're using Instagram to do this also. And and that is what that is what I love also about the story of Nathan and David. Nathan, the prophet, and King David. So King David has done wrong and Nathan wants to show this to David. But Nathan doesn't approach it directly as in he doesn't, you know, doesn't just barge in and, and go on and accuse David because oftentimes when we're accusatory, it doesn't work out. Instead, Nathan tells a story and then asks David as if this, this having this third-person example of this rich guy who stole from this poor guy um, just to get a sense of what David thinks about it. And at the end of the story, after talking about the guy and their lamb and about how the rich guy basically stole or took advantage of the poor guy by taking his lamb and Nathan pointed out to David after David responding that that's not a good thing, this guy should be punished, he should, he should make restitution, Nathan basically says, you are that guy. You are that man. That is what Nathan says. Now, alongside this, I also want to take a reading from Matthew chapter 18. This is a portion where Jesus himself talks about correcting someone within the community. And this is what it says in Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 to 17. 
If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have won over your brother. If he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, so that every fact may be established on the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell the church. If he refuses to listen even to the church, then treat him as you would a Gentile or a tax collector. Now, this is very interesting, no? Because Jesus shows us a certain progression, diba? If you see something wrong or if something wrong was done to you, how do you approach it first? He's speaking about this in, in the context of a community, diba? Because he talks about, you know, telling the church. Now, what does he say? You start by talking to the person. You talk to the person personally. You approach him. Try to settle the matter between you and him alone. Now, in our day, what we do is the opposite. Sometimes, or well, oftentimes, not just sometimes, diba? we talk to everyone else about the problem that we have about this other person, except for whom? Except for the other person. We'd rather talk to our friends, our leaders, our boss. Sometimes it's the boss who is the problem. So our colleagues and so on and so forth. We talk to everyone else except for the person that we need to talk to, which is the person who has the problem. Because who can fix the problem? It's oftentimes it's the person himself. But we don't do that because we don't want to. We're trying to avoid that. We, it, it's, it's much easier you know, to post about it on Facebook, tweet about it. Make a TikTok about it. Gossip about it with your friends. And so we don't do this. First point pa lang, may problema na. But that's what Jesus tells us. He tells us to talk about it between you and that person alone first. Now here's the thing. There are circumstances when that is not possible. If there is some form of abuse, for example, whether that's physical abuse, sexual abuse, verbal abuse, it is not advisable for you to approach the person yourself and then settle the matter ng kayo lang. Pagdating sa ganung bagay, of course, you jump to the second part. What does Jesus say? Take one or two others along with you so that every fact may be established on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Allow other people in. Let them have a say. Have an objective perspective. Again, because you could be the one who's wrong, or if the other person really is the one who's wrong, at least you're not the only person who's saying it. And so, again, this is, this is more of a direct interver- intervention type of approach. And so you gather people who could help you out, who you, who, whom you could trust, di ba? Hindi ka lang magkukwento sa kung sino, magkukwento ka dun sa mga taong may, may magagawa talaga, makakatulong talaga sila. And that is, that is the second part. And the third part, if he refuses to listen to them, tell the church. And then if he refuses to listen even to the church, then treat him as you would a Gentile or a tax collector. What is a Gentile? A Gentile is a non-Jew. So treat him, the person, as if he was outside of the Jewish community. Jesus was Jewish. The people that he was talking to were Jewish. And that was the context. So treat him like an unbeliever. That's what we mean or that's what he means by this. So treat him as an unbeliever or as a tax collector. The tax collectors during that time, they were corrupt. They were Jews, but they were working for the Romans who were their enemies. And so they were people who were not often associated with by faithful Jews. Now, of course, I won't be able to go into all of the specifics and everything that it takes for you to settle a matter with another person. I think for the most part, this is a 
uh, a matter of prudence, diba? You need to look at your circumstances, determine what is there, what you can do about it, given what you have, make uh, a wise decision, whether the right decision is to confront directly or indirectly or to have someone do the confrontation. These are things that you could think about and decide on because you are the person, if you have this kind of matter at your hand, you are the person who knows better, not me. I'm offering just an insight, a third-person insight into this matter. But what I'd like to do is I'd like to offer three points of reflection about correction or about um, having these kinds of encounters with people. So the first one that we need to consider is a firm relationship. Do you have a firm relationship with the person that you want to correct? Because if you don't, then maybe you're not the best person to do the correcting. Okay? This is important for us to consider. Now, again, it depends. What kind of relationship what do you have? Do you have a professional relationship? Do you have a personal relationship? Do you have a familial relationship? These are things that you will have to consider and these are things that you will have to think about. But it matters that, you, that, that the person that you will correct at least has a certain amount of trust in you. Para hindi siya nagtataka or hindi siya, hindi siya doubtful of your intentions, diba? If that person trusts you and you are the person who approaches him about this important matter, then it is more likely for the other person to take it seriously. Now, of course, that doesn't always work out, but it's more likely. And that foundation of friendship or relationship might just be what will get get the both of you through this kind of correction, this kind of confrontation, because it's not easy. And that's why people avoid it, because it's not easy. And we'd rather stab people in the back. But, you know, true friends don't stab you in the back, they stab you in the front. And you, you, you talk to people directly, right? as much as possible. And that requires the second thing. So aside from a firm relationship, the second thing that you need is a honest conviction. You need an honest conviction toward what is true, to want what is best for someone. You need the conviction because it's the conviction that will give you the courage. It's the conviction that will get you to do the thing that you've been trying to avoid, which is to talk to the person that you need to talk to out of conviction. Now, why did I say honest? Because we can also be convicted toward all the wrong things, all the wrong stuff. And that is also dangerous. When we are convicted with matters that are wrong, when we are fighting for something that is wrong, we tend to be stubborn and prideful and arrogant. And of course, this does not translate well. And it's also not good for the relationship because you come in trying to correct someone thinking that you are already right. When in fact, Maybe you don't know the full extent of the story. Maybe you don't know certain factors why this person decided that way or posted that thing. Again, honest conviction. It has to be honest and open. Open to being corrected also. Because what you want to do is communicate with the other person and not just shout him down. Not just give him a piece of your mind. These are, these are very important things to consider. A firm relationship and an honest conviction. And that ties well to the very last thing, the third thing, which is an open humility. We need an open humility. We need to remind ourselves that we are pursuing the good of one another. We are not pursuing me being right and you being wrong. And then that's it. We are pursuing what is good for one another. 
Now, I wanna highlight yung sa last part na minention natin kanina, di ba? Yung if, if, sabi ni Jesus, if he refuses even to, even to the church, treat him as you would treat an unbeliever or a tax collector. And it's very interesting kasi there's this, there's this passage in Exodus when Moses approaches Pharaoh. So Moses wants to set his people free, set God's people free. And so he approaches Pharaoh asking Pharaoh to set the Israelites free. But how does Pharaoh respond? Pharaoh says, I don't know your God. So why would I let his people go? Why would I obey him? This happens in Exodus chapter 5. You can read about it in the very beginning of Exodus chapter 5. But that's basically the gist of it. Why should I obey the God that I do not know? Now, what can we take from this? What we can take from this is that we cannot expect godly standards from ungodly people. We cannot expect godly standards from people who do not know the Lord yet. And that's why as, as Christians, as Catholics, we need to be careful about these things. Of course, we need to uphold what is true. Of course, we need to uphold what is just. However, we need to invite people in also. We need to be able to communicate to them also, not just that they should care about this thing, but why they should care about this thing. And part of that is appealing to the lover in them, right? the good neighbor in them, because a lot of people, naman, they're convicted like us. Well, we can be convicted sometimes in the wrong things. And oftentimes, we, we are trying to pursue a good day. And these things are, are worth identifying. These things are worth looking into. And this is why yung example din ni Jesus, di ba? it's in the context of a community. It's different if you uphold certain standards with people who have already decided to follow the Lord versus people who do not even know the Lord yet. Of course, there are there are things na, like there's a ceiling and there's a floor. There are things that are not regardless of whether you acknowledge that God exists or not or so on, where you are in your own journey of growing with the Lord. But we, these are the things that we need to think about so that we could also adjust the way that we speak to people, the way that we try to convince them, the way that we try to communicate the gospel. Because maybe that is what we need to do first. Maybe we need to communicate the good news first to them. Maybe that is exactly what they need to hear and not the feeling superior, this is what you need to do. Right? And I think as we, as we wrap this up, I think it's good to take a look at how Jesus himself treated the Gentiles, the non-believers, and the tax collectors. Because Jesus dined with tax collectors. That was one of the things that were pointed out against him in Luke chapter 15 when he told the story of the prodigal son. The Pharisees, the, relig the religious teachers, were basically accusing him, telling him that this guy eats with sinners, sits with sinners, and eats with them. That's how Jesus treated them. It doesn't mean that he tolerated their behavior. Of course, he called them to repentance, kind of like how Zacchaeus was transformed. He was a tax collector. And you also have a Pharisee who was transformed also, Nicodemus, although Nicodemus' journey was longer than Zacchaeus. But that was how Jesus treated the non-believers. And that should also be our model for how we ought to treat the, the people that we disagree with. Now, I am not here speaking about this as if I always do these things right. And I want to say that I am a part of this also. I post nasty stuff also every now and then when I lose my cool. And, and I, 
I, I think it's important that we post about our convictions. I think it's important that we post about the things that we believe in. I think it's important that we try to that we try to communicate the gospel, the teachings of the church, or um this this toward this this pursuit of what is just and what is moral. I think these are very important things. However, when it comes to conversion, when it comes to personal correction, we ought to do it personally also because our public posts can only do so little. And I think oftentimes we overestimate what we can do with a post that we shared and we underestimate what we can do with an honest conversation with someone, a sincere conversation with someone, even when that person is a person, is, is someone that we don't agree with. We don't agree with politically. We don't agree with morally. We don't agree with, with all sorts of things. But that connection is very important. And let's not be too quick to forego that connection because that is what the world wants. Notice how many posts are coming up right? about like, it's fine, you know, argue with your parents. If they, they, it just means that they're not as open as you are, as educated as you are, as enlightened as you are. There are things that they're still holding on to in the past and so on and so forth. And that might very well be true, but it doesn't help if you approach these things with a heart full of pride. Again, you could be the one who's wrong and you might not know it. And you won't know it if you, are, you, you don't possess these three things, right? a firm relationship, an honest conviction, and an open humility. These are things that are important that I hope personally I want to strive to apply in my life better and better as I have conversations with people. You know, I, I've had like certain episodes and certain posts when I said something that other people disagreed with and so on. But, you know, ang, ang pinaka mga nagmark sa akin are some of the few conversations that I've had with people when some of the topics that might be considered controversial have come up. Like, I've actually talked with, like, I've had conversations with people who are pro-socialism. I'm not pro-socialism. Well, it depends on how you define socialism. Maybe we could get to that in another episode. But uh, I've, I've had conversations with people who are pro-abortion. I've had conversations with people who are pro-divorce. And yung mga, yung, yung, those, those small or seemingly small conversations were significant to me because those were the conversations where I actually got to hear what the other person has to say and not just what I think they all say. Because that's what that's the problem with all of these slogans that we put up online. Diba? We have these catchphrases that we use and then when the other side brings out a catchphrase, we bring out a counter-catchphrase and the other side brings out a counter-catchphrase and then what happens is that there is no real communication because you're not really getting to know the person. You're just exchanging slogans and that's not helpful. And of course, those con I'm gonna be real, those conversations did not end with, oh, okay, Kuya Mon, like Brother Mon, you're right, I was wrong and I, def I therefore changed all of my beliefs. No, it did not end in that way at all, but at least... I believe that I was able to at least persu uh, persuade them a little more or bring up some ideas that maybe they hadn't considered before. And I could say the same. I could say that they did the same for me, that some of these people were able to bring up some things Now, hold on, I hadn't thought about it in that way. And these are things that, that have benefited me either by changing my mind on certain things, certain stances, and certain issues that I have, 
or by enriching the stances that I already have because knowing some of the most common or most used or even most effective counter-arguments for what I have to say or what my stances are, then I could embolden some of the things that I am already convicted in because I can see that, yes, these points are valid, but I still see that this, this particular solution that you're trying to point toward might not be the best. And it allows me to further refine the things that I believe in. And both cases, it's a win. Both cases, it's a good thing. So my invitation for you is to think about these things, especially when you find yourself in conversation with someone whom you disagree with, whether that's in person or in the comments section of a particular post. <laughs> and um, think about these things. Ultimately, we want to be grounded in Christ. We want to draw wisdom from Him and allow Him to define what is good and bad and how we ought to love our neighbor. And of course, He is our standard of love. And as we wrap this up, I want to close with David's response in Psalm 51. So I want to read to you the entire psalm and then we'll bring this episode to a close. I would like to invite you if you are if you are doing something while listening to this to lean in a little bit if you can and pay attention to the words of David in this psalm. This is his prayer afterward. This is his prayer. So the, the first verse tells us the context um, of, of when he prays this prayer and this is a popular and a very rich psalm. So here it is. Psalm 51. For the leader, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet came to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Have mercy on me, God, in accord with your merciful love. In your abundant compassion, blot out my transgressions. Thoroughly wash away my guilt and from my sin cleanse me. For I know my transgressions. My sin is always before me. Against you, you alone, have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your eyes, so that you are just in your word and without reproach in your judgment. Behold, I was born in guilt. In sin, my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire true sincerity, and secretly you teach me wisdom. Cleanse me with hyssop that I may be pure. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. You will let me hear gladness and joy. The bones you have crushed will rejoice. Turn away your face from my sins. Blot out all my iniquities. A clean heart create for me, God. Renew within me a steadfast spirit. Do not drive me from before your face, nor take from me your Holy Spirit. Restore to me the gladness of your salvation. Uphold me with a willing spirit. I will teach the wicked your ways, that sinners may return to you. Rescue me from violent bloodshed, God, my saving God, and my tongue will sing joyfully of your justice. Lord, you will open my lips, and my mouth will proclaim your praise. For you do not desire sacrifice, or I would give it a burnt offering you would not accept. My sacrifice, O God, is a contrite spirit, a contrite, humbled heart, O God, you will not scorn. Treat Zion kindly according to your good will. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will desire the sacrifices of the just, burnt offering and whole offerings. Then they will offer up young bulls on your altar.
Thank you very much for listening all the way through. If you enjoyed this episode, please do give us a rating or a review, depending on your podcast platform. You can do that on Spotify, Apple, and all of the other channels, podcast channels as well. And like I mentioned in the beginning, we have a Ko-fi page where you can support what we're doing here financially. That would mean so much. Don't forget to join our group, Facebook group, Not So Secular Discussions and Questions. The link to all of those will be in the description. And so with all of that said, goodbye, everyone, and I'll see you next episode. Bye.